I'm Carter. I'm Eloa. And I'm Erin. And if you don't know three black bitches who love true crime, you do now. This is the I Ain't a Killer podcast. Welcome back, y'all. Hey. Hey. Thanks for joining us again this week for I and Akilla. Yes. Uh, we want to start, as always, by thanking you for your support. Y'all have been super supportive. The streams keep going up. We keep celebrating. So yeah. Exciting. I'm like, are we ever going to get to a point where we don't, like, freak out over every stream? No. I kind of no. want to. <laughs> I always feel like magic. Yeah. yeah. I don't care. It could end up being like, y'all have a million listeners. I'm like, oh. And then that one million and one, and we're like, yeah. <laughs> Why my on my phone? <laughs> no, we'll never lose our sense of wonder. Don't you guys worry. <laughs> um, we're also almost at 100 followers on Instagram. So if you haven't already followed us over there, then do that, please. Mm. You'll be able to see all the images and pictures we talk about during the episode. Yeah. Whenever I hear a story, I'm like, what do they look like? Right. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like that's helpful. Also, leave us some comments. We had, like, our first engagement comment. I was like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. hey, somebody's talking to us. <laughs> <laughs> we literally freak out about it. <laughs> yeah, I never wanted to end. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all haven't noticed. We do this because we deeply enjoy it. So yes. Thanks for, for being along for the ride with us. Um, speaking of thanks, this week we're going to shout out Angela, a.k.a. Love for Angela from Instagram. Hey, Angela. sponsoring this week's episode. Yes, thank you so much. Yes. Um, she shared with us that um, she has a personal connection to disability rights. And we were just touched by the acknowledgement and her sponsorship donation. And, of course, always want to shout out the people keeping us able to keep the show accessible because it matters to us. So yes. if you want to be one of those people, you can donate to us uh, via Cash App. It's in the description of this episode. It's on our link tree, on our Instagram. You know, do it. Check us out. Yeah, it's everywhere. Send us some funds. Mm-hmm. We need it. Um, so for our current and crime this week so as y'all know last week we talked about Gabby Petito and we know that case is absolutely everywhere right now it's all across Twitter all across Facebook all across Instagram it's all anyone can talk about yeah we even talked about it last week Mm -hmm. and we have on our Instagram a timeline of events Um, so we're keeping up with it and we also want to address some of the other things that have been coming up. Um, I don't know if y'all are familiar with, but Joy Reid this morning uh, mentioned missing white woman syndrome. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know Joy Reid did it. I thought it was just something that popped up on Twitter. I guess I feel like it was like people were talking about it mm-hmm. because it's like the obvious thing that's happening. But right. yeah, she like addressed it on the air, and it caused quite the stir. Um, so we'll be addressing it too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So if you haven't heard of it, well, are you familiar with it? I'm not. I was just gonna say I think it's a very nuanced conversation, which it is. Nuance is always left out of these conversations. It's either like black or white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I definitely saw some folks like, "Fuck that white woman!" Like it's all these black people missing, which is which is real. But like you still have to, yeah. And that's still a person, yeah, mm-hmm. that's missing, and their family doesn't know where they are. Right, but, and it's causing them so much like agony so um missing white woman syndrome is a real thing that like social scientists use to describe how white women when they go missing or they're in harm's way the media is like in a frenzy and they get all the resources and all the news coverage and all the all the everything um 
And like y'all are saying, like, it shouldn't happen to anyone, um, particularly. And this case is hard. And that's the part of the nuance because it's about a lot of bringing up a lot of conversations about domestic violence Mm -hmm. um, because of that 911 call and the witness statement about, you know, Brian hitting her in the face and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the fact that she is a young, traditionally attractive white girl, everybody is giving her a lot more attention and resources than some of the girls that look more like maybe the folks that host this podcast or mm-hmm. maybe some of our listeners. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we wanted to uplift a case um that happened actually earlier this year that had a lot of similarities, but definitely did not get the same attention. Yeah, I was getting over this. This is wild. Yeah, and I was um, talking to Carter and Eliwell before we started recording about how I was, like, disappointed in myself that I didn't know about this case, mm-hmm. but then know all the details about the um, other cases that center white people, so. Yeah, it's just, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, like resources and uh, how stories are like pushed on you when you mm-hmm. when you look at social media and you're scrolling through it. We're not looking for missing black and brown people. We're not looking for missing anybody, mm-hmm. really, because, I mean, it's stressful just to even like keep up with current crimes all the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Gabby Petito popped up on my feed on TikTok, on Twitter, on, you know, all this, and these and black and indigenous people aren't doing like that's not happening with them. I mean, I will say mm-hmm. that, like. When people post on Facebook and they're like, this so-and-so is missing, this is the area, da-da-da-da. Like, I share those posts all the time, but I don't engage the stories because yeah. it does hit too close to home. Yeah, and yeah. I, it makes me deeply uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, but it shouldn't yeah. be on the people, it shouldn't be on us yeah. to uplift those stories. It should be on the mainstream media. And every single person on TikTok that's talking about Gabby Petito yeah. should also give this same information. So Yeah, definitely. Hey, y'all, we wanted to give the content warnings for this current in crime. So there is domestic abuse, murder, police neglect, and violence against Black women. So if these are triggering for you, please feel free to skip ahead. But yeah, let's get into this article. Um, so it says, mom desperate for justice months after missing daughter found shot to death in NYC car trunk. Um, it's, she says, I cry myself to sleep at night. Uh, this is an article by Brittany Kriegstein on Daily News. Um, It says, four months after Destiny Smothers was found dead and decomposing in the trunk of her car in Queens, her grieving mom has come to spend summer in the city in a last-ditch effort to find justice for her slain daughter. Frustrated by a lack of information from the NYPD on the unsolved homicide, Loretta King has relocated from Binghamton to, uh, I hope I said that right, to the Rockaways in Queens, where her daughter grew up to search for answers in person. So she relocated to research the crime for herself. Like, that's off top. It's just something that no parent should even have to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, they should be looking for her. But, that is so much. Since this whole thing's been going on, NYPD has not reached out to me one time. What? Hold on. Not what? I called the detective and every time he, it's, oh, he's not in. I need to know where you're at with this case because it's my daughter. An NYPD spokesman declined to discuss any specifics on the case with the Daily News reporter. Of course said the, Yeah, <laughs> exactly, of course. But said the investigation is active and ongoing with no arrests made. The only update King has gotten from the NYPD, she says, is a new finding on her daughter's cause of death, a bullet to the head instead of the initial conclusion of a blow to the head that cracked her skull. The detective told King it might um, make her feel better knowing that her daughter hadn't suffered as much. 
What? Uh, what the fuck is that? You said That's that to horrifying. the scene. You, yeah, no. I I don't even know what to say. I'm speechless. I, I literally don't have nothing to say to that. That's so... It's evil. Mm-hmm. You would never say that to a grieving mother in general, ever. And then as a cop, you're saying that to this woman and you're responsible for looking for her daughter. And you didn't reach out once. You didn't do any type of interview with her or anything. Anything she knew. Getting information. Nothing. Right. They don't care. Mm-mm. They literally don't care. And that's another reason why I feel like it's a lot easier to miss these cases, too. Because when you do see it and you see, like, oh, this black person is missing, it's real easy to look at and be like, they're not going to look for her. And mm-hmm. this person looks like me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. half the time, all those people, you can just see yourself in their faces. And it's just like, well, I guess I'm not going outside. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. For real. Um, she said, that don't ease the pain. It was like I found out my daughter was killed for the first time all over again. I had to relive that trauma. On November 3rd, uh, Smothers celebrated her 26th birthday at Bolero in Woodside, Queens, with some friends and her longtime boyfriend, Kareem Flake. Although they had been living together in upstate Troy, the couple were in town for Flake's grandmother's funeral the next day. So her and her boyfriend were living together? I guess so, yeah, in, in upstate New York. Um, King remembers that her daughter was eager to enjoy herself at her bowling party after a long and difficult year. All she was talking about was her birthday. She wanted to be with family and just have fun. The morning after the party, Smothers was supposed to meet her mom and go shopping. She never showed up and was just absent and was absent at the funeral that day. And she says, I know she wouldn't have missed the funeral, King said, noting that Smothers and Flake's grandmother's uh, grandmother had been close. I called his phone and I said, where your other half at? And he said, oh, she jumped out of the car mad because she wanted to hang with her friends. He recalled, you just telling me she vanished in the thin air. Um, Why would he say that? Yeah, that's, that's such a weird saying. thing to say. That's right. very weird to her mom. Like, yeah. And she said, I know my daughter. My daughter and I are closer than close. It didn't sit right with me. So, yeah. Wow. Already, I'm starting to see, like, the similarities between this case and the, the Gabby Petito case. Mm-hmm. It's like, they were supposed to be together. Mm-hmm. And he was the last one that they saw her with. So, like, why don't you have any information on why she didn't show up at the funeral that day? Right. You know what I mean? But, yeah. Did you want to read that out? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so it continues. For four months, Mother's family canvassed the neighborhood near the bowling alley, searched high and low on highways that crossed state lines, and even reached out to spiritualists, hoping they'd find her alive. So the key word is Mother's family. Yeah, right. Her family should not have to do this. I mean, I know they probably would anyway, yeah. but it's this is the police job. Yeah. So on March 10th, earlier this year, um, those dreams were shattered when a tow truck operator was called to remove an abandoned Toyota with no plates at 151st place near 134th Avenue in Springfield Gardens, just blocks from the home of a cousin of Kareem Flake, who was at the party. Mm. After traveling a few miles, the tow truck operator realized the car had a flat tire and popped the trunk on Lefferts Boulevard near North Conduit Avenue in South Ozone Park to look for a spare. He then found Smothers' body inside. Don Raglan, the homeowner who alerted authorities to the abandoned car, told the news Sunday it took her a while to notice because it was the winter and it had been parked on the side of her house. She called 311 every day for about a week until someone came to tow it. <laughs> every, every day? For a week. 
Oh. Cops later came knocking to ask her if she'd seen anything suspicious, telling her that there had been a body inside. It was shocking. It was my worst fear. That's why I called. It's unacceptable, said Ragland, who was 37. I have cameras now. I wish I would have put them up then. Oh, mm. that's sad. That is sad. So Smothers' relatives now visit weekly to take care of a memorial they set up on the set, at the site, um, often bringing chairs to just sit and stay for a while, Raglan said. They come all the time. They just sit there. It's very peaceful, very peaceful, quiet. They're just there. They just miss her. They're completely heartbroken. While the discovery finally allowed King to mourn, the, wound, the wounds of her daughter's murder remain open. Um, there's the fact that the devastated mom couldn't even see Smother's body to say goodbye because it was so decomposed. Mm-hmm. There are the questions from Smother's two sons, aged four and ten, who know that their mother is gone and are being raised by an aunt. Flake is their father. Whoa. Um, and, the, and there is the lingering exasperation that no arrests have been made. King says, my daughter was found in a car that Kareem Flake told everyone she got out of. She never got out of that car. How has he not been arrested? That's, That's what so, I'm saying. That's yeah. so, they just didn't pay any attention. And it's weird because they're, I mean, this is fucked up, but like they're black. Yeah. And they're always looking for excuses to put black people into prison. So it's just like. Interestingly enough, like, yes, I agree. But when it comes to domestic violence situations, not really. Like, how many times have you heard a nigga actually get in, like, separate consequences for hitting a woman? And, you know, it's because black women are lesser than black men, even when it comes, even when white men are looking at the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's wild. Flake showed up in a relative's car at his grandmother's funeral on the day his girlfriend went missing. When asked why he wasn't driving Smothers' car, he said it was in a shop being repaired, according to Smothers' relatives. Mm. What? That is... <laughs> that is the worst lie ever. That's right. the, in a shop? They can verify that. What right. the fuck? And then they found it on the side of the street. Right. For a week, that person was calling, so... Right. No. So a relative of Flakes told the Daily News Sunday that no one had heard has heard from him since the funeral. I don't know what happened, why it happened, or anything. He disappeared. I don't know why. Oh, so he disappeared too. Just like did he disappear? Yeah. He probably just dipped because uh, they probably were starting to get like suspicious or something. Yeah, let me and he didn't want to like not show up at the funeral. Mm. So, um, okay. So one of his relatives said, "He's a grown man. He'll handle it. If he did it, that's what he deserves. He's got to pay it off. If he didn't do it, well, he's going to get his name cleared." I feel like that's a very weird way to say that. Yeah. Especially like these are his relatives, but you know, they've known her for at least 10 years because they have a 10 year old oh, child. Yeah. That's wild. So, so she jumped out the car because she was mad. Then he ended up in a relative's car, but she ended up in the trunk of the car that they were driving mm-hmm. when she got mm-hmm. out. Yeah. That don't make, make it make sense. Um, so she remembered Flake as a jokester and Smothers as a sweet, sensitive girl. This is um, Flake's relative is saying this. The couple lived together in the Rockaways for a time before the couple moved to Troy. That was like my little sister slash niece, the relative said. It broke my heart when I seen this on the news. I said, no, this not her. And they said that was her. I started crying hard. It's messed up. 
Flaken's mother's 13-year relationship was tarnished by domestic violence, much of which was witnessed by their two sons, according to the relatives. Of course. My grandson told detectives that a few times he heard his father say he was going to kill his mother. King said, he tells me stories. There in therapy, she added, the four-year-old really doesn't know. He just knows he hasn't seen his mother. But the 10-year-old, he knows. He saw the abuse in the household. So as the search for smothers began back in November, this was last year, so 2020, King and other family members felt that Flake wasn't acting like the devoted boyfriend of a missing woman. Right, because he ain't. (laughs) You think he'd show some concern, like, my baby is missing. No, nothing. Latima Fowler, 42, a cousin of Smothers, told the news in March. Fowler said Flake had been questioned by the cops. He pled the fifth and said he'd be back with a lawyer. She said, adding that he never returned. When they found her dead, he never reached out to us, she added. A male relative of Flake's who wouldn't give his name spoke with the news after Smothers' body was discovered. We have mixed emotions, he said. We don't know how to take this all in. When Flake got upset, he got physical. He had anger issues. Though Smothers' family continues to grapple with unanswered questions, there's one thing they know for sure. As the bubbly young mom lies in a grave in New Jersey, her killer is somewhere walking free. In the Rockaways, where King is crashing with some of her adult children for the summer as she searches for justice, she is confronted by memories of Smothers everywhere, especially in the seaside parks where Smothers loved to play as a little girl. King plans to stay in Queens until an arrest is made and is hoping to meet with detectives from the 113th precinct. Sorry. Um, She says, I cry myself to sleep every night. My daughter is not resting because I'm not resting. That is so heartbreaking. I want to send so much love to her. Like, I don't know. I know we, I know this is such a small platform, but it's like, I just want to like reach out to her. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe something that she wasn't able to tell the media, she can, I don't know. Yeah. This is just so sad. But I mean, going back to what we were talking about earlier, like, it's cases like these that just get swept under the rug and ignored by the police when all of it matters. Like, Every every single person whose life is taken because of domestic violence or some sort of uh, dispute or anything like that, like it should definitely be handled in the same way where it's like reported and given resources. Yeah, I know it's not the focus of our podcast, but I was thinking as we were reading this story that we did make a post of uh, little known cases of folks that are missing that are of color or other um, gender oppressed identities. Um, but maybe we can make it a regular thing, like a weekly post of like, hey, these people are missing. They're from these areas. Keep an eye out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, our platform is small, but just something we could put some intention into. Mm-hmm. I'm down. Yeah. Me too. All right. Well, we'll be right back with our story for this week. All right, y'all, we're back with our main story, and Carter is going to be our lead investigator. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, detective. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this story is a lot. Um, I also know that our current and crime this week was a little heavy. This story will also be pretty heavy. So, you know, this may be one of those episodes you have to skip, and we totally get that. Uh, content warnings for this episode, or for this story in particular, Mention of suicidal thoughts, abduction, sexual abuse, rape, violence against sex workers, and abuse of women in general. Mm -hmm. And 
I know. I say all that to say, like, they aren't, it's not just like one story of one person being abused or abducted. It, it's a repetitive thing. So, again, if you don't have the capacity for that this week, you know, we'll see, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm. That's okay. All right. So, we're going to start this story with a specific survivor of this person and then circle back to who he was. So, her name is Lisa McVeigh. Um, she was born in March of 1966. Her exact birthday, I wasn't able to find. I'm assuming it's just because she doesn't want it out there. Um, but that makes her either a Pisces or an Aries. Her mom dealt with a lot of uh, addiction issues when she was a kid. So Lisa spent a good time in and out of foster care. And then eventually she ended up, when she was 14 years old, living with her grandmother. I tried to find out if it was her maternal grandmother, but I'm assuming so, just because she was in her mother's custody, like mm-hmm. technically, when she wasn't in foster care. Um, so when she was 14, she was living with her grandmother in Tampa, Florida. Um, she was told by her mom that she needed to, you know, help her grandma out and take care of her. Like it would be a mutual, mutually beneficial situation, I guess. Lisa's grandmother also had a boyfriend who was a complete piece of shit. And he sexually abused Lisa regularly for years, um, three, three years to be exact. Mm-hmm. Lisa was quoted as saying later in life, all my childhood, I was abused most of my life and out of foster care for five years. She went on to say I was being sexually abused at home. My grandmother's boyfriend used to put a gun to my head every time he molested me for three years. Oh, it was nothing new to me. Wow. No. Yeah. Poor baby. Again, this story is a rough one. So if you need to go ahead and exit, I, I understand. Um, so when Lisa went to her family seeking support, she was basically told to shut up and be grateful that she had a roof over her head and a room of her own. This is when she, as a child, was telling her family that she was being abused by her grandmother's boyfriend. So there's no telling how old he is. Right. And I also like really, really looked for her grandmother and uh, her grandmother's boyfriend's names because I wanted to drag the absolute fuck out of them. Yeah, but right. I couldn't find them. Um, so I'm okay. sure they're in hiding somewhere. As soon as you said boyfriend, I was like, yep, I met yeah. you. It's some shit going on. It's mm-hmm. always the fucking boyfriend or the uncle or something. Yeah. Fucking creeper. And the family even accused her of lying about it. Who the fuck lies about shit like that? I don't understand that reaction. Like, somebody comes to you, a child comes to you and says, A child. Your boyfriend is being hella fucking creepy, doing this abusive shit. And it's like, oh, you made that up because kids' imaginations are just so specific. And but, like, saying, that, like, that's so a lot. extreme. And you should always take it serious, no matter what. Mm-hmm. I don't care how imaginative your kid is. Like, we take that shit seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, her childhood led to her having suicidal thoughts. I mean, totally understandable. Yeah. She literally had nobody to talk to. Like, nobody believed her. And days before she was eventually abducted. So, we're fast, fast forwarding. She's 17 years old now. Okay. Days before she was abducted, um, she went so far as to write out a suicide note. Mm-hmm. So she worked somewhere local to the neighborhood, and on November 3rd, 1984, at around 2 a.m., she was biking home alone with the intention to end things when she got there. She she said, quote, I always took the same route on the way home. It was always dark, but it seemed darker than usual that night, she told the Crime and Investigation Network in the U.S. I'm pedaling my bicycle on the sidewalk, but a car blew a horn. I thought, that was kind of odd. Why would a car go by and blow a horn? I'm on a sidewalk. I got halfway down the street. I noticed the car was in the parking lot of a church. I looked back at the church, and next thing you know, I was yanked off my bicycle. It felt like three or four guys jerked me off of the bike. So at that point, a man held her at gunpoint, blindfolded her, bound her wrist, and abducted her. 
Lisa said being held at gunpoint triggered something in her, probably relating to having been raped at gunpoint by her grandma's boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And she made the choice that she wouldn't go down without a fight. So Lisa was smart, like as hell. I don't know that I would have been able to think this quickly on my feet at 17 Mm -hmm. years old in this situation. Um, but she knew that her best chance of surviving this was going to be outsmarting this guy as opposed to, as opposed to like trying to physically fight him. So after being abducted, she was forced to engage in sex acts with him, both in the car, like where she was abducted, but then also she was taken back to an apartment. Uh, once they got at the apartment, her captor directed her to the bathroom and made her take a shower, but she was still blindfolded the whole time. So he was very aggressive when he was speaking to her, like directing her and telling her what to do. And then he joined her in the shower and started bathing with her. Oh, that's yes. gross. Very fucking nasty. Oh, that's so gross. I'm like, Ew. yeah. And she said that his behavior like was night and day. So like he went back and forth between like being like super intense and mm-hmm. like mean and like sweet and like gently touching her and trying to wash her body and stuff. Oh. Yeah. So being between being raped repeatedly, she tried to get to know him. This is a part of her plan to like, you know, make to humanize herself. And at one point she even questioned him as to why he was doing this to her. He said he was doing it because he had a really bad breakup with a girl and wanted to get back at women in general. Scene. Are you fucking kidding? The misandry in me is like it's just growing by the minute. Like, listen, when I tell you this story pissed me off so bad. Like, me. you had a bad breakup, so you kidnapped a little girl off her bike and took her to your apartment to harm her. She has nothing to do with the situation. She don't know you. The woman that broke up with you also doesn't deserve this. But no. like, what? While being moved throughout the apartment, Lisa could see just, like, a tiny bit underneath the blindfold. So, like, she was able to make out the couch, and the color of the couch was red. She's, like, trying to just take note of things that, like, she can later relate to somebody. Mm -hmm. She made sure that she was, like, putting her fingers all over everything. So she's, like, touching the mirror. She's touching the toilet, touching the shower curtain, trying to leave behind evidence that she had been there. She also said that she was raped so many times over the next 26 hours that she lost count. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Whoa. So this part really fucks me up because, and damn, like kind of tearing up. But she said that she believed having been a victim of sexual assault all those years actually helped her, her to get through that and like helped her to be resilient through the situation. Wow. Which really fucked me up. Because yeah. I'm like, 17 is still a baby. But yeah. like you have this history of violence and like being, having that happen at gunpoint by somebody that you live with that's like supposed to be taking care of you is just like I cannot even fathom it and then to have to like I don't know draw on the strings from those situations to get through something even worse you know arguably that has nothing to do with you yeah not not a damn thing so um she says that she spoke to her kidnapper like he was a child and it worked because she was able to gain his trust and as he started to let his guard down he took her hands and like rubbed them over her face like so she was still blindfolded but i guess he wanted her to be able to see slash feel what he looks like which i would have thrown up all over him yeah um she was able to tell that there were pock marks in his skin a small clean cut mustache that he had small ears short hair thick brows and that he was stout so damn was taking note um she offered to be his secret girlfriend and said Listen, I know you said you've done this to other women before because of the broken relationship. It's unfortunate how we met. You seem like a nice guy. 
I can take care of you. I'll be your girlfriend, and I won't tell anyone how we met. So, I mean, my girl is smart. Right. I'm like, She's I would never smart, thought Smart, patient, like very controlled because I, I don't, I don't think I would have had the strength. I would not be that strong or that smart. Yeah. No. Like I would panic and yeah, no, it yeah. would not go the, that same way ever. At all. I would just be sick to my stomach yeah. at the very least. Um, she told him that she was the only child of a sick parent and was able to persuade him to release her. So as she was leaving the apartment, she counted the number of stairs. Peeking underneath the blindfold again, she was able to take note of the car's license plate. Wait, so how long had it been that he let her go? Was it uh, a short period of time? We find that out later, but it wasn't a super long time. It was only okay. like at most a day and a half. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so on the way to drop Lisa off, he stopped at the ATM and she was able to see that he was wearing all white shoes, a white shirt, and jeans. They also stopped. My nigga was bold because they made two stops. So they also stopped for gas and he told her, told her that if she screamed, he would kill her and the attendant at the gas station. Yes. So after being dropped off behind the back of a business at 430 in the morning, she just started running and she's just running and running and running. And in her mind, every car that goes by is the guy coming back to, to snatch her up again. Hmm. Now, you would think that if your 17 year old went missing, you would be like super fucking worried. Mm-hmm. And so when they got home, you would. First feel at least just relieved. Right. Um, when she got back to the house, that wasn't the case. She got home and she's like beating on the door, panicked in a frenzy because she thinks she's been like followed by this man that's just been brutalizing her for the last God knows how long. Her grandma's boyfriend answers the door and yanked her in the house by her hair and threw her to the floor. And then for five hours, he beat her and interrogated her about her whereabouts and why she was quote-unquote, cheating on him. Oh, my fucking God. Mm-hmm. Is this the fucking Twilight Zone? Like, I don't... What the fuck is that? Cheating on... Nigga, you 80. That's Ew. disgusting. That is disgusting. Oh, I'm so you, I'm literally nauseous. Rage. Like, I want to... I want to be his like, ass. Listen, I want to be, be a part of the group of people that finds out who the fuck he is. I will travel to Florida just for... Like, this shit made me so... Scoop me up with you. Mad. I mean, I don't even know if he's still alive at this point. Because this was in, what, the 80s? But, ooh, I was mad. Like, <laughs> I was typing just furiously, like, trying to Google, like, who are these people? These terrible, disgusting people. Oh, my God. Cheating on him? Yeah. And, you know, in the meantime, she's literally like, no, like, I was kidnapped. I've been brutalized. I need help. I'm hurt. Like, Mm -hmm. and they don't believe her. Her grandma doesn't believe her. Her grandma's boyfriend doesn't believe her. Oh, grandma's a piece of shit. Fuck this grandma. Exactly. And fuck the boyfriend, too. Yeah. Yeah. But so they had they had filed a missing persons report when she went missing. So the grandma called the police to let them know that she was no longer missing and told the police that she had made up some story about being kidnapped. And they were like, "Okay, well, we still need to close out the investigation. So, you know, had it not been for that, Lisa may not have ever even had an opportunity to talk to the police at all. But she gets to the police station and she's talking to a female investigator telling them her story. And this bitch don't believe her either. All right, y'all, we'll be right back after we pay some bills. Are you a huge cunt? Us too. Wait, can we even say cunt? Of course. It's empowering these days. Cunt, 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 cunt. 
I'm Ange Balasone, a.k.a. the drag queen, That Girl Gina. And I'm Mike Fails, just a normal gay guy, I guess? And we're the hosts of The Big Cunty Couch, a gorgeous new talk show podcast where we invite queers and peers to sit, bitch, and be fierce on a huge-ass couch while we gab about all things gay. So come get cozy and cunty with us. We're pan for platforms, so find us anywhere online and get listening, sweetie. Or watching. Or both. Otherwise, why the hell am I in full drag? And we'll see you on The Big Cunty... Oh, wait, I thought we were going to say that together. No. (laughs) the big cutty couch. Mwah. Oh my gosh. What was she saying that was so unbelievable? People get kidnapped. People get abducted. People get sexually assaulted. I mean, I guess maybe they just didn't believe that she could live to tell the tale. But I mean, like, isn't it your job just to take what I'm saying at face value and do the investigation yourself? Yeah, yeah. you're not supposed to be, like, discerning between whether or not <laughs> you believe this shit. No. Like... If you're you supposed to be writing it down and going about your job. Get your squad car <laughs> and go down the street and listen to what I'm telling you. Like, I don't understand. So Lisa had to advocate for herself. This is a 17-year-old girl, again, who has been completely just terrorized. She said she wanted to speak with someone else. So mm-hmm. she finally got in front of Sergeant Larry Pinkerton. He was the lead for sexual crimes. And Lisa overheard him tell another officer that he believed her and to call the FBI. So finally, someone listens to this. Wow. Thank you, Larry Pinkerton. Right, Larry. Because these bitches you work with is incompetent. They need to be fired. I cannot believe that happened to her. I mean, I can, but God damn. Can you imagine what it would be like if, like, every time somebody called 911, they would only send help if they believed your story? Listen. <laughs> like, you tell some outrageous ass shit, you're like, mm, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it for that. Like, yeah. That makes sense. I'm going to let you handle that. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> I know Larry people and them. They wouldn't do that. Yeah. Like, they're not like that. I know them. And then and they don't do stuff like that. Very wild to me. So, fast forward a couple days later, and the news is airing a story of another dead body that had been found, which brought the total in that area to eight for that spring. Lisa overheard the story and got chills. She called Sergeant Larry and told him she needed to come up there ASAP because she had some more to tell them. So Larry connects with the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, office who was investigating those murders, and the pieces started to kind of fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, the sergeant, I thought this was interesting, offered Lisa the chance to be hypnotized so that maybe she could access even more memories, but her grandma's boyfriend wouldn't allow it to happen. What? Because if she accessed more memories, she would probably Hello. be able to tell more about what hmm. she repressed when she was younger. Exactly. So Man, shit. Sergeant Larry, he was like, why would they not allow you to do anything that is necessary to apprehend right. this person that did these terrible things to you? And so Lisa, you know, broke down and told him what happened. Yes. Okay, yeah. good. I wow. was I had my fingers yeah. crossed. I was yeah. like, please, bitch, mm-hmm. you better tell it yeah. while you can. And so they arrested him and yes. he's taken out of the home and placed in a center for runaway teens for her own safety. Love that. Yeah. Wow. Finally, after all that time, it took her being abducted by someone who did something, I won't say way worse, something incredibly wild to her for her to eat, to get a semblance of justice around what was happening in her own house. For years. For years. Listen. Oh, my gosh. I wonder how the grandma feel. I would love to see her face. I would pay to see her fucking face. I would pay to stump her face. I would, I, hope, yeah. I would pay to run her over in my car. Listen. <laughs> 
listen, because anybody that will allow this to happen to a child in their house at the hands of their man, someone they're claiming, oh no, like, girl, you don't have to see me in the streets. Don't let me never find out about no bitch I personally know that lets some shit like this happen, because yeah, I'm no. telling you, no, I cannot, like... Uh, Street justice is the only answer. Being the only locked answer up is the only not a punishment. So... Whew, back to the story. Thankfully, through all the details that Lisa was able to remember with that bomb-ass memory of hers, she helped the police identify 31-year-old Bobby Joe Long as her abductor. Wow. 12 days after her abduction, he was arrested outside of a movie theater. But in the 12 days between kidnapping her and his arrest, he had managed to kill more two more women. Damn. He went to see a movie? He went to see a movie. No conscience. Listen. No conscience. My thing is, two more people died. If they had listened to her, as soon as she got home... Those people would have been alive. Yeah. Oh, I wonder how the bitch feel with the first one who interviewed her. First of all, I hope she got her ass beat, too. Yes. Oh, my goodness, yes. Lock all the bitches up, first of all. (laughs) Listen. Fire this hoe with no paid leave, because... If I was chief, I'd be like, bitch, do you see what's going on? Like, now we got three people on the board. It's a board with, you know, like, yeah. with the little pictures and shit. Yeah. You got all these people on the board because of your ass. Right. Like, no, you get fired. Give Lisa a pistol and let her beat her ass, like, pistol whip her behind the, the precinct. I support it. That's what needs to happen. And, yeah, no. So, Bobby Joe Long, the perpetrator. He was born October 14th in 1953. Um, he was born in Canova, West Virginia. He's a Libra. His parents were Joe and Luetta Long. He was born with a specific variant of Klinefelter syndrome, which includes having an extra X chromosome, which causes um, excessive estrogen. Hmm. I don't know anything about that. That's interesting. Yes, yeah, so very interesting. He developed ch- breasts as a child. Um, oh, I have heard of that. Oh, like gynomastia? Like, can that help? Oh, okay. It, yeah, yeah. Kira was just telling me about that. Yeah, I think it's like when men have extra, well, cis men have extra, like, fat around, like, what maybe I should Rest have. You. Okay, maybe. <laughs> Y'all, but, we'll just put it out there. My neighborhood is doing the most today, so you might hear some background noises, and we're just going to talk over them because we don't have time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. We don't. But yeah, it's, it's when, like, they get breast tissue, that's pretty much it. So. Yeah. Um, so he developed breasts as a child and we know kids can be really mean so mm-hmm. he was definitely bullied for that and when he got to his teenage years he had a breast reduction um, I'm going to save that part for later but when Bobby was two his parents got a divorce but when he was five they began dating again and eventually got remarried when he was seven hmm. so as they tend to do Bobby suffered multiple head injuries as a child yeah, I'm putting a helmet on my baby immediately. <laughs> I support it now. Yeah, I won't make fun of your baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I would never make fun of it. Maybe in private. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be cute with little stickers on it. No, I, um, I think it's cute when the babies have helmets. Yes. I mean, I'm all the way up to like eight years old, though. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, he sustained um, head injuries both in his childhood and later in life. So I'm just going to list out all the head injuries he has. All of them? Because there's a list, yes. Whoa. Um, so the first one's not a head injury, but when he was four, he almost drowned at the beach and he playing, he blamed his mom because he said she was too busy trying to get with some, some man on the beach, which is wild. Um, at five, he fell from a swing and was knocked unconscious. Ooh. Yeah. I'm yeah. never letting my child get on a swing. <laughs> or just get on a swing with a helmet. Yeah. 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 See, helmets for activities. How about that? <laughs> That's fine. Um, he was thrown from a bike into a parked car at the age of six and he, sustain- he sustained a concussion and lost several teeth. 
So, I mean, he must have been swung off that bike because right. he was on the bike and then he hit a parked car. And I imagine, you know, you just run your bike into a car, but to lose teeth and have a concussion, it had to have been Wait, like... y'all, I've done that. I didn't get a concussion, though. You lost teeth? No, I didn't lose teeth. Oh. I ran my bike into a car. Oh, yeah, no, that's normal. <laughs> oh, it is? Yeah, okay. that's normal. But I'm saying how <laughs> fast or, like, what happened that he was thrown from the bike hard enough to lose teeth? Right, right, Because I right. run into a parked car. Come on, kids. Oh, so. yeah. I thought I was the only one. Cool. No, <laughs> no I have all my teeth. I'm fine. <laughs> At the age of seven, he was hit by a car twice. What? <laughs> the second one resulted in a permanently deformed jaw. I don't know what Bobby's mom was up to, but clearly it was not watching her child. Or he taking a little get park. out the street. <laughs> get out the streets. <laughs> They're right right for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> there's parks, there's trails, girl. Like. <laughs> <laughs> and then at age seven or eight, he fell from a pony onto his head, which left him nauseous and disoriented for weeks. A pony? So it's probably another concussion. That's a con- I think that's like, yeah. 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 And then at age nine, he fell from a fence and needed stitches on the side of his head. So from the age of four to nine, he sustained several, several injuries. And mm, he never had a chance. Yeah. Very well. Wow. He was adventurous as fuck. Yeah. A pony, a fence, <laughs> swings, like <laughs> Tarzan, like everywhere. In 1963, by the time Bobby was 10, his parents' marriage fell apart for the second time. And he and his mom moved back to Florida from West Virginia. Because they moved in with his aunts and cousins to an overcrowded house, Bobby had to share a bed with his mom. It was around that time that Loretta began working to support them and wearing what Bobby considered to be quote-unquote sexy clothing. And Bobby resented this and began verbally abusing her. Yeah, so he felt some type of way. I mean, I'm sure he felt at this point that his mom was like kind of absent, wasn't paying attention to him like he should. Mm -hmm. Now they're divorced. Now he got to share a bed with her. And now he's dressing as what I'm sure he would call in his mind a whore yeah so, uh-huh. he's not having a very good picture of women so far uh-huh. she was eventually able to buy them their own home in Halea, florida i think that's how you pronounce that where bobby's behavior problems continue to get worse and he began dating around even more this one's this is rough i forgot to add this in the content warning so animal abuse real quick at age 13 bobby shot the family dog in the vagina killing it because he believed that his mother treated the dog better than she treated him Oh. What in the vagina? I that was even abandoning your kids, but like something got That's twenty red flags right there. I Specifically mean, he got the in the head injury, and he's killing animals. Yeah, mm-hmm. the only thing that's missing is what, like arson or peeing in the bed or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely getting serial killer, killer bingo. Wow. Um, he's 13 at this time he also met um cynthia who would go on to be his future wife they formed a very close bond and she was the first girl that he ever had sex with so in 1970s when he started you know doing crime he was arrested for stealing and in 1971 he was accused of rape for the first time but no one believed the victim due to lack of evidence i'm tired there's no evidence when you i mean there is but there can be or there cannot be yeah but we could also just like believe survivors and take these things seriously. Right. And also like this is a violent crime. But my first thought is if there were systems in place, if Bobby had gotten some therapy, if we had, you know, been meeting whatever need that clearly was there was a deficit of something. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just saying there was there was a deficit of something and mm-hmm. maybe something could have changed the course of events that happened from here on out. 
if yeah. they had just believed this first girl. Uh-huh. Right. Um, that same year, he re-enrolled in 10th grade after dropping out twice, but was eventually expelled and enlisted in the Army, which we know how great the Army is for men with aggressive tendencies. Oh, um, in the Army, he earned his GED at 19. Then at 21, he marries that girl, Cynthia, that he lost his virginity to, even though the virginity is not real, but that's a whole other conversation. Right. At the Air Force Base Chapel. And then in February of 1974... Bobby was in a very serious motorcycle accident where he nearly lost his leg and obviously sustained another head injury. Oh, my god! Did he not learn? No. He just never um, needs to go anywhere and do anything. Oh. Yeah. After the accident and seemingly caused by it, Bobby experienced a significant increase in his sex drive. Mm. Nurses made note that he masturbated five to six times a day and, like, pressed his wife for sex every time she visited which I didn't know that a, I mean, I guess a head injury can cause any type of behavior because people have like gotten injured and then can speak other languages right. and things like that. Yeah. But I just had never, yeah. I don't know, thought about. I never heard of that before. That. I didn't even know. I mean, I know your brain is connected to it, but I didn't know your brain could significantly increase, you know, like how much you're wanting to have sex. Yeah. Right. And a head injury specifically. Yeah. But yeah, that happened. So, as a result of his um, motorcycle accident, he was discharged from the Army for medical reasons. And because he had no job and nothing better to do, he began soliciting women through classified ads. Or, like, finding ads in the newspaper where people were, like, looking to meet people or, like, trying to sell houses or furniture and things like that. Like Craigslist. Um, he then moved from the airbase into a trailer with his wife, and they had their, their first son. And then, to no one's surprise, he began verbally and physically abusing his wife. And was even arrested for battery against her. All right, so they racking up like yeah, that's nice red flag after red flag. You got arrested for rape, but then they were like, "Nah, we can't prove that." But now you beating on your wife. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. I'm pointing things out as they come up. In 1975, Cynthia gave birth to their second child, and they moved to Fort Lauderdale in Florida. Bobby was having a difficult time finding work and stability for the family, so they like moved around a lot. And eventually, his parents were like, well, "All right, we'll help you buy a house." And so they did, and the house was in Hollywood, Florida. At 25, he got back into school at community college and became an x-ray tech. And then the next year, Cynthia, you know, she was fed up with moving around, the lack of stability financially and emotionally. She filed for divorce. Good. Which was good for her. Get out of there. Yeah. yeah. So since he was struggling financially and living apart from his wife and kids, he moved in with a friend named, I can't believe this man has kids. He moved in with his friend they named always have kids. Susan. Right. Can you imagine being, I'm sorry, I don't want to get tangential, but he moved in with this woman named Susan. Her last name is Replogle, R-E-P-L-O-G-L-E, and one other person. But then he moved out of that place and in with his friend Ted Gensel, and eventually Susan moved in with him, him being Ted and Bobby. In mid-1981, Susan accuses Bobby of rape, but yet again, no one believed her. And the police determined that whatever evidence they did have wasn't sufficient enough for prosecution. So two weeks after that, they ended up, they being Susan and Bobby, ended up having a physical altercation where he pushed her and threw her down the stairs. She filed misdemeanor battery charges against him. And we'll follow up on that one later, on that point later. It was around this time that Bobby began raping sex workers in Miami and Fort Lauderdale. 
So he's, you know, going down to the city, finding sex workers and preying on them, but also using the classified ads to like target women and. Mm-hmm. So he's finding them through classified ads, and then when he meets up with them, it's both and. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we'll get to it. Um, but yeah, it's both and. In November of 1981, at 28 years old, Bobby pled no contest to sending obscene material to a 12 year old girl in Tampa. Yeah. Again, I mean, the, the, there were so many opportunities to. They had like 20 chances to stop him before it escalated to that. Mm-hmm. And nobody ever sees it getting that far. They're just like, oh, you know, we don't have any evidence. We don't want to like ruin this person's life or whatever. Right. But they need some kind of help or something. Right. Something's got to happen. At 29, he attempted to get back on his feet financially and found a job as an x-ray tech at Huntington Veterans Administration Hospital in West Virginia, where he had moved back in with his parents. But he was eventually let go for making women patients undress needlessly so they're coming in for an x-ray and he's like take off all your clothes and they're like what the fuck the fuck right it's an x-ray <laughs> right so it can see happens. through me it right. can see through my clothes like, right literally oh. like again but then it's just like i don't believe in tracking people you know like in that dystopian way where like you can pull up somebody and see their entire record of every infraction they've ever had yeah because that just is problematic for a lot of reasons but there's just so many times where people are like yo this nigga's weird and doing weird terrible shit look into it send him to therapy connect some dots that's what i'm saying like just two (laughs) you ain't gotta you don't have a list of all the dots just connect at least like two or three of them any dots so in July of 1983, he moves back to Tampa and he meets Elise, where they both worked at the same hospital. Mm-hmm. They began dating and he even started attending church with her because she was super religious and that was important to her. Boom. Hey. Blah, blah. <laughs> God. Also, this Damn. year he was found guilty for the battery charge that Susan had filed against him previously and was sentenced to probation. He was furious that they had the nerve to find him guilty and he wrote to the ju- judge repeatedly until he got another tri- a trial. What? You can do that? <laughs> if you white? I was just about to say, of course he's white. Okay, yeah. I just, I just want to make sure, because I want you to be like, oh, actually, he's... You can just be annoying, and all of a sudden, yeah. they'll reconsider. They're like, all right, Bobby, guys. Right. <laughs> oh, one, one more chance. One more chance. <laughs> after that, I, I can't do anything right. for you. Like, so a couple months after that guilty verdict for the battery charge, he was also sentenced for that charge where he sent obscene content, which was letters and a photograph to that little girl in Florida. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. He was, he was sentenced to two days in jail and probation. That's a fucking joke. Two days. That is a fucking joke. Two days. What? Two days? Two days. What do you learn in two days? Where the jail? bathroom is. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking it. You learn how to make a jail burrito. <laughs> That was it. Two oh days. my god, two days. So, like I said, he got awarded another trial for those battery charges against Susan that he threw down the stairs after raping her, but he was only charged with the battery. And he was eventually acquitted altogether. Meanwhile, oh. Elise is still his girlfriend do, through all of this. Does she know all the stuff that's going I mean, on? I mean, you gotta know this nigga going to court for something. Yeah. He went to jail for two days. I'll ghost the fuck out of that nigga. Like, I'll ghost. Like, fight. <laughs> fight. Girl, you gonna be next. <laughs> Listen, I'm pulling up with the AR. 
<laughs> That's an inside joke. That's classic. That's okay, I'm ready. Um, wow. But yeah, so March 6th of 1984, Bobby Joe Long commits his first premeditated rape. In New Newport Richie. This can't be his first. First premeditated. But didn't he like put like look in the classified? I guess I don't really understand what premeditated technically means because he was seeking out sex workers. Yeah. Yeah. That he was planning to rape. Maybe they found proof that like he actually took steps to plan it. I don't know. Or maybe they just don't consider sex workers. Yeah. That's fucking people. That, that's right. probably exactly. what it was. Well, oh, she's selling pussy anyway, so she might as well just give it up for free. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, um, a Newport Richie, Florida woman had placed an ad in the newspaper to sell her house. Bobby posed as an interested party and while touring the house, forced her in the bedroom at gunpoint where he raped her and stole her jewelry. This is the first in some 50 or so speculated rapes before he began escalating to murder. 50? That's what I read. Five oh. That's what I read. Yep. Five oh. Get these white people out of here, y'all. You're not safe doing any fucking thing. Like looking at a house. Or trying to sell your house. Yeah. That's that so wild. scary. This began a pattern of rapes and robberies that went on for the next month or so. The jewelry that he would steal, so this became like his mm-hmm. thing. He would rape them and steal their jewelry. The jewelry that he would steal, he would sometimes give to Elise as a gift. Oh, and come on, Elise. she did not question how he was able to afford all this jewelry all of a sudden. Where was he working at? He was an expert tech still, right? He was right? at the hospital, right? Yeah. Oh, he got a new went. hospital? I think he was still at that hospital where they both worked together, actually. Didn't, what, is, did he get fired because of the whole making him undress thing? Let me go back. Is that the place? Because uh, I'm confused on the timeline now. I'm a little confused as well. I think he's still at the hospital working with Elise. I may be mistaken. Because in a way, he could not afford all this jewelry. That's, that's what I'm saying. If he got fired and he wasn't working there, that makes it even more suspicious that he's <laughs> pulling up with jewelry, jewelry. but he ain't got right. a job. Yeah. Right. So March 27, 1984. So we. this is just a month, less than a month later. That's suspected to be the date of his first murder. So he drove to Tampa to, select, to solicit a sex worker and came across 20-year-old artist Wick. He raped her, but for some reason, he wasn't satisfied with how that went down, so he proceeded to strangle her to death. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I really like the name Artist. I know. I, I love the that. whole name is actually very cute, that's, Artist Wick. Yeah, that's very cute. Oh. Um, several weeks later, he attempted to cap... And when I tell you, the man gets rolling after this. Mm-hmm. So, so just a few weeks later, he attempted to kidnap a woman by the name of Mary Hicks by abducting her in her own car at gunpoint. She crashed the car because she was smart and she was like, bitch, no, and jumped out and ran away. Oh, no, what? I'm taking a deep breath. I'm just really, this, it just pisses me off. You know what came of that case? Those Nothing. charges that she filed? They he didn't. had to pay for the damage to her jag and serve three years probation or was sentenced three years probation. I don't even know if he served all three years probation. Yeah. Probation, probation. As in, like he I kidnapped in her car. Her in, in her. He <laughs> he broke into it's her so car. It's so nonsensical. Like what the fuck? In her car and put a gun to her head, and she had to crash her own car to get away from him. And all he had to do was pay for the damages, which I think it was like fifteen hundred dollars. I gotta get in on this being white thing. Listen, we all do, and being a cis man thing because oh, wow, yeah. the combination is yeah, wow, unstoppable, magnifique. <laughs> Listen, so by the time he's 30 years old, 
he discovers that Elise has been cheating on him and he has the nerve to be upset, y'all. He called his mom and cried on the phone with her that there were no good women left in the world. It's giving... Bitch. It's giving, it's giving you. Like, yeah, what, it you, is, what it you about is. to say? It was, I was saying it's giving cis men. But. Oh, yeah. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> from you. It's, I'm, it's I'm, giving Penn Badgley. I've had that conversation with dudes so many times. They've been like, oh, yeah, my girl cheating. I'm like, but you was cheating on her with like five other people. But she didn't know that, though. And it, <laughs> at this point, I'm just like, when I say I literally had this conversation with a guy like three weeks ago, and I forgot why I don't like have that conversation with cis guys, because he literally was like, I could cheat on a woman, but a woman can't cheat on me. Because see, if a wa- if, if a woman has more bodies on her than a man, that lowers her value. But I can I can do I can do what I need to do as long as she don't know what I'm doing. I was like, sir. <laughs> you didn't body that stuff. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you made me mad at you. I was like, sir, that didn't make no fucking sense at all. Yes. And I was like, I hope you meet a demon woman. Like, I hope you meet a woman who will fuck your dad. That's some wild ass shit to say. I can cheat on a woman, but she can't cheat on me because women or men are different. And she carries the men that she sleeps with in her womb. And this- <laughs> when I tell you, he basically said that. Y'all, I'm saying it right here on air. I don't give a fuck. I'm a misandrous. I'm a misandrous. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> don't get us beat up. Do, do, I, do I still be fucking niggas sometimes? Yeah, okay, cool. That's whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> but I don't miss Andrews because because of shit like this. What the um, fuck? Okay, so back to the story. On the 4th of May in 1984, Wen T. Long was walking home one night when Bobby Joe Long drove up beside her and offered her a ride home. He took her to a secluded area in the woods and he forced her to disrobe, tied her hands, and forced her to lay down on the seat. He then raped her, and as if that wasn't enough, he beat, basically beat her up, physically assaulted her until she wouldn't fight back anymore. He then took a piece of rope and strangled her with it and left her there. Um, she was 20 years old, mm. and her body wasn't discovered until May 13th, nine days later. On May 23rd, again, this is back to back. So that was May 4th. This is May 23rd. Well, he was fired from his job, so he did have a job at uh, Gulf Bay Electric because his supervisor said he was rude to women, watched a lot of porn, and kept nude photos in his wallet. Ew. Yeah. Again, more and more pattern of him just being gross and people yeah. witnessing it and not really it's doing anything. So the 27th, I guess he's feeling bad about himself. A few days later, the body of Michelle Sims was discovered. She was a sex worker that Bobby picked up as she was strolling on Kennedy Boulevard in Tampa. He drove her to Lover's Lane, tied her hands behind her back, and raped her. He attempted to do the same routine of strangling her to death, but she put up a fight. She put up so much of a fight that he resorted to grabbing his knife and slashing her throat. Ooh. Yeah. And oh. when she was discovered, there was still rope around her neck and her bloody clothes were found hanging from a tree close by. And she was 22. All throughout this time, the so-called classified ad rapes and robberies were still happening in that in their county. So, like, you have this parallel story happening of, like, people are watching the news and they know that these rapes are happening, but mm-hmm. they're not connecting it to Bobby. And then you have Bobby, like continue to escalate um but what i want to circle back to around what you were saying earlier is i got the vibe that the the people that he targeted in the classified ads were like women that he didn't murder you know like he didn't always murder all of his victims and but the sex workers he seen tended to strangle to death uh-huh. and it goes back to what you were saying about how sex workers aren't seen as much as human beings mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in general um so yeah, that the the parallel stories that are happening are also wild to me because there's just so much happening all at one time. 
So June 8th, 1984, another young woman by the name of Elizabeth Loudenbeck accepts a ride from Bobby. He once again binds her by the hands before raping her at gunpoint. He did, however, untie her and allow her to get dressed, but later admitted that he decided to go ahead and strangle her because she wouldn't stop crying. Oh, yeah. What a piece of shit. He discarded her body um, in some bushes. He's like tossed her in some shrubs and found her wallet, used her ATM card to withdraw money from several different ATMs over the next few hours. Her body was discovered June 24th and was so badly decomposed it only weighed 25 pounds. Whoa. She was 22. Oh, oh my God. God. Okay, so she. how long was she missing? Do you have the exact date? So dates? June 8th is when she met him. June mm-hmm. 24th is when her body was discovered. So like three weeks. Mm-hmm. No, less than that. I don't know how her body decomposed so quickly. Maybe um, it was like it was hot, raining but, and, yeah. you know, like a bunch of different things. But that that's strange to me because if somebody had reported her missing, they would have saw the ATM, the credit card mm-hmm. usage and stuff, mm-hmm. and then been able to connect the dots. And, um, well, I'll address it later, but a lot of these women were sex workers. I didn't feel the, name, the need to necessarily name that for all of them, but that mm-hmm. may have been the case for yeah. her. Um, wow. So July 17th, Bobby received his sentencing for the violent abduction of Mary Hicks, like we said, and then... Had to pay $1,500 in damages for her Jaguar and the three years probation. So that just happened like for sequencing. September 27th, he was fired from Tampa General after failing to keep up with his x-ray certifications. But it was noted that his coworkers reported that he talked about sex all the time. It was noted. Yeah. But shit wasn't done about it. Right. Mm-hmm. He also began dating another woman named Ruth. Um, not super notable. Just something to throw out there. He still has a dating life while he's doing all this disgusting, heinous shit. It's so slimy. Yeah. September 30th, 1984, Bobby raped and killed Chanel Devon Williams, who was only 18. Mm-hmm. She was also a sex worker that he targeted late at night while she was on the stroll. Um, in a similar fashion of his previous rapes and murders, Bobby forced her to undress, tied her hands, and raped her. He also beat her repeatedly. Like Michelle, once Bobby tried to strangle her, she fought back super fiercely, so he ended up shooting her instead. He then pushed her body under a wire fence and threw her clothes out of his moving car as he left the scene. Her body was discovered October 7th, seven days later. So he's, like, erratic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because this isn't even, like... I mean, with other serial killers that we've looked at or that we just know about, they have, like, a pattern of how they get victims and how they Mm -hmm. kill them. This is, like, all over the fucking place. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not. They're different races. Um, One of the women was Asian. Chanel's black. Some of them are white. It's very all over the place. Yeah. I read somewhere somewhere that uh, serial killers usually don't cross racial lines, too. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that he he chooses people, like, randomly like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's all happening so quickly. Like, all of this is still 1984. Um, on the day that Chanel's body was found, he raped another young girl the same day. Her name was Kimberly Hopps. She was 22. He raped and strangled her. On October 13th, so less than a week later, he targets Karen Beth Drins- Drinsfried, who is a fairly well-known sex worker by law enforcement. So once he raped and strangled her in the same ways that he had the previous women, he um, was in an orange grove or something, but got caught off guard by dogs barking. So he hid with her body until the coast was clear, then wrapped her in a beach blanket, stuffed her in his trunk, drove her to another orange grove, and left her body under a tree. 
Her body was discovered the next day on his birthday. So Ugh. this was the day before his birthday. Ugh. Right. And on October 31st, her body was discovered. It had been mummified by the mud that she was left in. Wow. Yeah. And so now we're caught up to the timeline of where he abducted Lisa McVeigh. Wow. Yes. So I thought all of all this, this was, was before after- Lisa McVeigh. <laughs> I'm shook. Yeah. I'm shook as fuck because I could. I guess I just wasn't paying attention to the years, but like, yeah, wow. So Bobby kidnapped Lisa on November third, like we said earlier, and held her for 26 hours. Right. So that answers that question. Wow. Before That's, releasing her, that yeah, she's smart. And like we said, Lisa's family nor the cops believed her story. So completely preventable things ended up happening. Um. Bobby, on November 10th, Bobby murdered 21-year-old Kimberly Swan. And as he'd done numerous times before, he picked her up while she was walking late one night. But they argued once she was in the car, and she wanted to get out. So instead of raping raping her, he just decided to strangle her and leave her on the side of the highway. Her body was discovered two days later by construction workers. And I did make this note in my notes because it's something I just want to make sure I said. M- many of Bobby's murder victims were noted as being sex workers and drug users. I've decided not to name all of their specific types of sex work because some of them were dancers. Some of them, you know, were on the stroll doing, you know, various types of work or the drugs that they use because I don't think it matters. It doesn't diminish their value as people. Uh, sex work is work. It's valuable, valid work. Um, but there is an important conversation to be had about how because our society does not value the lives of sex workers or people they see as addicts, that these cases aren't seen as important or urgent. Yeah, so, yeah. They're more likely to be victims of crimes because mm-hmm. society doesn't care about them as much as other people. Right, because yeah. if a bunch of little white school girls had been getting snatched up, oh, he would have been off the street immediately. Right. Immediately. Yeah, thanks for saying that. Yeah, just, I was getting so, like I said, this whole, the whole time I was typing this out, my skin was hot, my palms were sweating. <laughs> I was just like, this is just too much for me. Um, November 15th, Bobby is finally pulled over for having a car that matches the description of the one that Lisa McVeigh provided, but the police had no other evidence to bring him in at the time. They were, however, suspicious, so they decided to keep an eye on him. November 16th, two months after her murder, 20-year-old Vicki M. Elliott's body was discovered. This same day, Bobby was finally arrested at the movie theater for the kidnapping, sexual assault, and abduction of Lisa. During his interrogation, he confessed to killing at least eight women. Two days later, he appeared before Judge Perry Little and was officially charged with eight counts of murder, nine counts of kidnapping, and violating his 1984 probation terms. Wow. So, oh, maybe I'll let you finish before I ask my question. Um, On November 22nd, Artis Wick's remains were finally found. In January, the police intercept a letter that Bobby wrote detailing a plan to escape and commit murder-suicide. It didn't say exactly who had planned to murder, but it was clear that he wanted to just murder a woman and then kill himself. So he's also separated from Jen Pop at this point and held in the infirmary for his own safety. But fuck his safety. In February, Bobby's psychoval begins. So he's evaluated by three different doctors. The first doctor determines that he's a sexual sadist, which, I mean, I think we all could have guessed that. That's obvious. Um, It was also noted by Dr. John Mahoney that he had temporal lobe epilepsy that caused an altered state of consciousness. Another doctor. I know, right? I've never heard of that. Yeah, me either. Temporal lobe. Epilepsy. So, okay. I, I have to have, look, I'm going to have, have seizures in one part of his brain. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know how that actually shows up in a real way, but it sounds wild. 
So you said altered state. What was it? Altered state of consciousness. Wow. Okay. Are you Googling it? Yeah. Okay. That's how you have it. Um, another doctor, Dr. Berland, Berland diagnosed him with inherited bipolar or manic depressive psychosis and an organic personality syndrome caused by tissue to the brain. So everything is caused by these head injuries. Well, these things at least. Yeah. And then ultimately, this third doctor had me screaming though, low key. Uh, Dr. Daniel J. Spree said that he determined that the only thing he suffered from was antisocial personality disorder. He was like, nah, this nigga just fucked up. <laughs> Period. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Um, so yeah, those are the determinations from the Safi valves. So I found this short little article from Mayo Clinic real quick. It says, temporal lobe seizures begin in the temporal lobes of your brain, which process emotions and are important for short-term memory. Um, some symptoms of a temporal lobe seizure may be related to these functions, including having odd feelings, euphoria, deja vu, and fear. Mm. So maybe like his head injury in combination with like all the other trauma that he suffered, because it does say that um, it comes from injury, like mm. having that specific place injured. Um, the one that heightened his sex drive, that probably was the, the one. motorcycle accident. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it says temporal lobe seizures may stem from an anatomical defect or a scar in your temporal lobe, but the cause is often unknown. Temporal lobe seizures are treated with medication, but of course nobody was paying attention to him or was trying to get him help or surgery. So I don't know. So maybe this could have been fixed. That's possible. That's wild. Um, so y'all remember that woman who was just trying to sell her house that he mm-hmm. raped in yeah. 1984. On April 15th, he's found guilty for that. Okay. A little yeah. over a week later, the trial of the murder of Virginia Johnson began. The jury took less than an hour to deliberate and recommended the electric chair. Whoa. Yeah, the electric chair just stresses me out. Yeah, yeah that stresses me the fuck out. Me too. I don't, I don't recommend electric chair ever, but I get the sentiment. Like I, yeah. I feel that. Yeah. On May third, the judge agreed, and he was sentenced to death by electric chair. In 1985, Long negotiated a plea deal with the assistant state attorney. So the deal was that he would plead guilty to the other eight counts of murder to cut down on all the trial time, so they could just like, okay. I guess, lump it all together. Yeah, pretty much. And in 1986, Bobby's defense attorney tried to argue that, you know, it was a case of insanity. Um, he cited that he had all these head injuries as a child, which, I mean, I'm not going for that. That, that <laughs> evidence is pretty clear that yeah, his head was yeah, fucked up. Um, they noted all the other defiances in his youth, all of his bad behavior and things like that. And um, he even tried to sell the fact that Bobby confessed to a 10th murder as, like, proof that he was insane, basically. Like, he's like, why would he do that? Right. Um, which, you know, that's a layered conversation. But in July, Bobby was sentenced to death for the murder of Michelle Sims. I grabbed this quote from an interview that Bobby did at one point. I thought it was a really, because the crimes are so violent, I expected the tone of what he had to say to be intense. Mm-hmm. But this is what he said. He said, a lot of lives just gone down the tubes because of me, you know, in one way or another. And it's not a good feeling. It's not a pleasant feeling. I'm not proud of anything I've done. And the worst thing is, I don't understand why. I don't understand why. So, after 34 years on death row, Bobby Joe Long was eventually put to death by lethal injection, not the electric chair, on, in Florida on Friday, May 24th of 2019. M- Lisa McVeigh and another survivor were present as his sentence was carried out. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
So Lisa, um, she went on to become a cop, which complicated feelings about, but is at the same sheriff's office that eventually captured Bobby Joe Long. Um, she said that she forgave Bobby for what he did to her. This is a quote that was taken after his execution, I think. It may have been before. But she said, Bobby Joe Long, thank you. Thank you for choosing me instead of another 17-year-old little girl. The reason why I can say thank you now is because I've forgiven you for what you've done to me. Had I not forgiven you, I might as well be in my own prison without walls. God has shown me the only way to really be free when someone bestows a justice, injustice against you is complete forgiveness. My life changed forever and for the better. I chose not to remain a victim. I chose to live. In 2019, wow, right, her strength, yeah, yeah. I, I can't, it couldn't be me, yeah, never, no, it wouldn't be me, but wow. In 2018, her story was at the center of a lifetime movie. Uh, It's called Believe Me, the Abduction of Lisa McVeigh. At some point, it was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still there. Oh, I've seen, okay, yeah, no, no, I haven't seen the movie, but like, Uh, I've seen that on Netflix so many times. You know, when she, when Carter said Lisa McVeigh in the beginning, your face, like, I could tell on your face that you, like, kind of, like, that sounds so familiar. I started watching it, but then I I should have watched it. Yeah, anyway. And she does, like, inspirational speaking. Um, She works as a school resource officer, and she's like, really close to the kids that are at the school and like talks to them about I know say it's complicated because I have lots of things about school resource officers too Mm -hmm. she talks to them about being safe from um, sexual violence and like predators and things like that so complicated ending but I am glad for her as a survivor that she's found the strength that she needed to go on Mm -hmm. um, and has like survived up until this point um, and she's still friends with Larry Pinkerton. Oh, I love that. Hey, that's cute. Oh, that would be my nigga, too. Because I'd be like, look, you was the only one. You was the, the only one. one. Wow. But I did want to take the time to read a little bit about all of the other victims of Bobby Joe Long. Okay. So, and I'll try to be succinct, but we have artist Ann Wick, who was 20, killed on March 27th, 1984. Um, she was his first victim. There wasn't a whole lot about her, but we know she was a sex worker and obviously deserved to live. There's Wen T. Long, who was 19, killed May 13th, 1984. She was from South California. She had come to Tampa in February and worked as a dancer, but she had recently quit her job. And yeah, life was cut short. Michelle Denise Sims, 22, killed on May 27th, 1984. She was born in San Bernardino County, California. She had been a beauty contestant and worked worked as a receptionist. Lyndon Nuttall, assaulted in May 1984. She's a survivor. Uh, Elizabeth Lodenbach, 22, killed on June 8, 1984. Um, Vicki Marie Elliott, 21, killed September 7, 1984. She was a server. She waited tables. she was one of the ones that he like just picked up because she needed a ride. Chanel Devon Williams, she was 18, killed on October 7th, 1984. Um, Karen Beth Dis- Disfriend, I'm hoping I'm not mispronouncing that. She was 28, she was killed on October 14th, 1984. She grew up in St. P- Petersburg. Um, Kimberly Kyle Hopps, 22, killed October 31st, 1984. Lisa McVeigh, the survivor who took that nigga down. She was assaulted November 3rd, 1984. Virginia Lee Johnson, 18, killed November 6th, 1984. She was from Connecticut. Kim Marie Swan, 21, killed November 11th, 1984. 
Um, those last two victims, most notably, are the ones that could have been prevented if anybody had listened to Lisa. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to name their names and where it made sense to like say where they were from, or, you know, what they were up to before they died, because it's just awful that women have to deal with a society that allows men to get away with bad behavior to the point where the list could even be this long. Right. Right. So, yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it was, a, it was a rough one. Yeah. But I'm glad he got taken down. I know. Because it could have been so many more people. He clearly had no intentions of stopping Yeah, that, that's what my question was. I was curious if there was any, like, if anybody thought that maybe he had killed more people. I think that they're pretty certain that his of the murders that he committed, I think it was a total of 10, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um. And that, like, he was just a serial rapist before then. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I don't know what switched in him where, like, he got a taste of strangling somebody and that was just, like, his jam from then on. Um, but, yeah, I think that number's accurate. I okay. think they feel confident that that number is accurate. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, I mean, he was locked up for 34 years. And by the time, like, when he first got arrested, he immediately admitted to, like, eight of those murders mm-hmm. and then confessed mm-hmm. to more. Right. Wow. Yeah. Oh, goodness. But Lisa McVeigh's a badass, even if I do have complicated feelings about her career choice. Yeah, most definitely. And believe survivors. Yeah, I'm impressed by her. Yes. Deeply impressed. And I want to watch the movie. I didn't watch it before today because I wanted us to watch it together. Oh, I want to watch it. I want to watch it with you. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank y'all for listening. All right, so we're not going to have a should this be a crime this week, but we are going to post some stuff on our TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter. So I think we're going to do the should this be a crime on TikTok if you all want to follow us on I Ain't a Killer Podcast uh, on TikTok and I Ain't a Killer Pod on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And on Instagram and Facebook, I Ain't a Killer Podcast. Or you can email us at I Ain't a Killer Podcast at gmail.com. Yep. Yes, please follow us on Instagram. We want to hit 100. Yes. yes. Finally. And then we'll be doing some cute giveaways and things in the next few weeks. But uh, leave us a review in the meantime. Yes, please. And send us some sponsorship money. Yeah. Well, thanks y'all for listening. Take good care of yourselves. Yes, especially after this episode. Yeah, we know it's kind of <laughs> heavy, but I'm about to go take a bath. Y'all yeah. stuck in here with us. <laughs> All right. We'll see you on Monday. Peace. See ya. Bye. <laughs>